0: School is in session. This is Recruiting Daily's Sourcing School podcast. We're recording from HR Tech in Vegas, thanks to our friends and partners at GEM. Sharpen your pencils and get your sourcing pants on, because we have the scoop on sourcing news, recruiting tech, and all the hot topics that you need to learn about. Here's your professor, Ryan Leary, with special guests, Shelly Steckerl and Mike Batman-Cohen.
1: Hello, welcome to Sourcing School. Really, really excited. Uh, this is actually our first guest at HR Tech, so uh, no pressure on this one. Um, joining us today, we've got Russell Plask from Accenture, a uh, little known company. Maybe you've heard of him. Um, Russell, welcome to the show. Thank you.
2: No pressure. Personally. Yeah, no, no,
1: no. You're gonna, you're gonna do, you're gonna do great. It's awesome. Um, and we've been chatting before this. Uh, a little nerd culture, a little business. Um, so, uh, I want to jump in and give you the opportunity to take 30 seconds, introduce yourself to everybody so we know who we're, uh, we're talking to.
2: Sure. So, as you said, Russell Klosk, I'm a managing director in Accenture strategy practice, talent and organization. Um, I run our global workforce planning practice. I'm responsible um, as the sub-offering lead for our HR analytics capabilities as well. I'm, I'm client-facing, so I, I build for Fortune 1000 companies. Um, and and basically you know to oversimplify hr transformation in the extreme we're building new capabilities for them to take advantage of the technology that exists out there and the the challenges that we're all having in some um, wonderfully uh, changed world of the last 3 years
1: oh yeah don't don't we know it um <laughs> awesome and and thank you for taking the time to join us i know it's a, a hectic conference uh, filled with tons of stuff to take our attention um so uh, we have a special guest who has joined us uh, both on this podcast as well as if we can share this news. It can be shared. Oh, uh, we have Mr. Martin Burns who is now with Recruiting Daily. Martin, introduce yourself. Tell everybody who you are.
0: Yeah, Martin Burns, Recruiting Daily officially, um, and I am special. We need to wear a helmet, special. But thank you for, for thank you for that at least. Um, yeah, no, I, I joined on Friday, so three days ago. I guess maybe I've been, but I've known the team here for forever. I've known William, and everybody else, and Noel, Brian, et cetera. And I'm joining to serve as editor-in-chief or managing editor, whatever my title is, uh, of RecruitingDaily.com. All, all the content planning, strategy, et cetera, talent management, as well as building out some new business lines for the organization. So a couple of things.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. Good. Got a packed house here. So. I uh, question, Russell, I know we're talking about sourcing. You do workforce planning. We were talking about this before we jumped on, about how those things should be better integrated, uh, and they're not. So um, when talking about workforce planning, for anybody who's listening who's maybe hardcore sourcing or, or hardcore recruiting and maybe doesn't understand the full scope of what workforce planning looks like at these you know, enterprise companies you're dealing with, can you give a, a quick synopsis?
2: I can, and I'll start by saying it's not workforce management. We're not talking about labor scheduling and how many people do you put at how many cash registers in your supermarket. That's important to be certain, but that that's more transactional and and near-term focused. When we talk about workforce planning, we're trying to get a perspective on what does my workforce need to look like over a given time horizon? So a year from now, three years from now, if I get into the strategic elements of it, five, seven, nine years from now, and we're basically building capabilities that look at it at the job level, at the skill level, that allow you to do modeling to say, what if I do this? If I use contingent labor instead of direct labor, what if I put Lots into my process, and I want to do a, a, a massive RPA play. What, which jobs are going to change, and just as importantly, when are they going to change? And then when we start dealing with some of the recruiting metrics, it's one thing for the first day of the fiscal year for a recruiter to get a thousand open recs dropped on their head, and everybody does it, absolutely everybody. It's something else if those same thousand recs are spread out, and it's two hundred fifty a quarter, and you know which jobs are going to be. It allows you one to have less of a recruiting team that can be more proactive, and two to focus your dollars where they're going to help you build these pipelines. And you can model that against contingent labor and other things, and say, um, for example, say you have a recruiting process that isn't as effective as you need it to be, and you have ninety days to fill or something like that. Well, if I need to hire two hundred fifty people, and I know it's going to take me ninety days to fill each of those racks, and I need them sooner than that, then I can have a contingent labor curve that would, you know trail off at 120 days, 130 days. And that way I can still get my work done. So basically with workforce planning, we're doing the same thing that finance has always done. And we're putting in the line manager's hand, the ability to make talent decisions based on what is the workforce capable of today? What do they need to look like tomorrow? And what am I going to have to do to do that? Now the execution is actually in the talent management and the recruiting and the employee development and the succession, all of those other things. But, um, you're putting the models behind it and that, that what if analysis to plan for yeah, three years ago, right? Yep. Yeah. No one did it. Well, I, I stand corrected. DOD had a plan. They didn't think of it as a pandemic. They thought of it as an attack, but, but no one did it, but there's no reason they couldn't have the technology, the capability was there and we should have learned because in 2008, no one did that either, but they could have, right? And so, so what we've seen though, 14 million open jobs, 4 million people available to fill them. None of them have the right skills, right? This reality of the world we live in is all of a sudden this thing that has existed basically since the Visigoths got hot and it got hot because the technology and the algorithms finally caught up to where I can do it affordably for a line manager. I can go bottoms up. I don't have to put it everywhere. I can put it in one function or one division and still get plenty of ROI and change the way I do business.
1: Yeah. Lot. Well, sorry about that. Was cutting out on my mic. Uh, So a lot of stuff that I I heard in there, and I want to take some of that and dissect it, right? So uh, one of the things that I heard, obviously, workforce planning sounds to me like a combination of technology and process. It's not one or the other.
2: And governance. It's all three.
1: Okay. Uh, Talk to me about the governance piece.
2: So workforce planning is an operational construct at the end of the day. You're trying to solve your problems in your SCNO organization. How do we do business? How do we make what we make? How do we do our R&D? How do we sell it? How do we deliver it? HR is an enablement mechanism. For it to work, HR needs to own the technology. They have to drive common process, so I can roll it up, so I can formulate my recruiting budgets, my sourcing budgets, my training budgets, whatever it might be. But you're actually looking at the business and saying the machine says that you need to hire 15 people, but the way we actually do business, I actually need to hire 17 because 15s never worked. Because and there's an element of storytelling in there and. With all due respect to HR business partners, the good ones certainly know how the business makes money. That's not the same as doing the job. You need someone in the business that's doing the job. You're trying to write the workforce plans around. So what we find is in the governance, there's a COE of some sort in HR, small one, and someone's got to run the technology, of course. But the workforce planners themselves, they end up being rotational assignments within the business. So you take one of your engineers off the line for a year and a half and make them your workforce planner. They get a rotation through HR, they become a better leader for it, and you have someone that's answering the questions for the projects that understands how they work.
1: Wow, I would not have... I, that you, if you could see my face just now, my, my eyebrows just raised up to the, the, my scalp. Um, the idea of taking the, the day-to-day-in-the-trenches user practitioner and making that person kind of the, the SME, if you will... Um, Is that a practice that you're seeing more and more companies going to, or even companies that have been doing this for a while?
2: Yeah, the ones that do it well do it that way. Um, There's a practical aspect to it here. So one of the things you missed is finance is involved in this too. So there's this annual finance capacity planning exercise. What should my headcount budget be next year? Workforce planning done right is usually updated on a quarterly basis, but it's a report to get the finance answer with much more granularity than they're used to having. And so they're in there and then we've all worked in big companies In big companies, the accountants run the show and HR is an overhead function. And so for HR to go out and say, we need to hire 30 people because we're going to do workforce planning for our 500,000 person workforce is a heck of a hard sell for workforce planning to set for, for HR to say, we're going to hire three people. We're going to build this capability. And then each of the businesses that wants, it's going to have to hire one in their budget where the money is made. You know, that that's a much easier sell from a practical point of view as well.
1: Uh, getting the executives or getting the business and stakeholders involved earlier than, than later is kind of what that sounds like. Uh, Martin, any, any thoughts on this? No,
0: it, it makes sense because you, you, you're getting buy-in. Right? Right. They're, they're committing into it early in. And they got.
2: Oh, I'm too far away from the mic, they have um, more skin in the game. And, and they're usually the ones asking for it. I, right. I would love to say HR comes to the table and says, we can do this for you on rare occasions. Right. Um, usually it's the business going, you're not meeting my needs. This is what I need. Yep. And HR be at least being smart enough to go, okay, we can do that. Let's figure out how we do that. <laughs> yeah. The HR becomes the enabler of, but, but not the driver. Right. Yeah. I mean, a good HR department today. And, and this is what I love about sourcing because it's always been the most strategic of the HR functions, even at its most transactional, right? Because the it yeah. yeah. doesn't work. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, a good HR department today is data-driven, it's analytics, mm-hmm. it, it's a business partner, the same way finance has been for decades. I think we're finally at a point where most of the HR practitioners that couldn't make the pivot are no longer in the profession, but we're, not, we're still learning how to do it as a profession, right? You know, it, it's a different skill set, it's a different muscle, and the days of I went into HR or personnel, if we go back, right? I went into personnel because social work doesn't pay very well, but I want to... You know, do this, those days are long behind us, and it's Mm. all data driven. And so, what can you do with that data? Whereas finance has been saying that for decades this is what you can afford. Look, here's a dashboard. Mm. Um, And, you know, I I usually draw this example. There's two types of companies at their most basic there are fast follower companies, and there are those that want to be absolutely out front inventing the world. And both models can be very highly successful, right? Microsoft is a fast follower company, there's no arguing with the results. Google's a fast follower company, there's no arguing with the results. Switch to life sciences and J&J and Merck want to be, our Pfizer, they want to be out front, right? Um, wonder, wonderful models on both sides. So how do you take that and apply it into an HR department and apply it into a sourcing function and say, this is what we can actually do with our talent. Or if you want to do this thing in your business plan, this is what we have to change them to. And in some cases, it's training and in some cases, we just got to switch it, right? but it's an informed data-driven decision okay, as opposed to just uh, yeah, we'd like to be the best at this. So let's go hire some people and we'll be the best at this. Let's just work harder.
1: <laughs> um, so I, I have a final question because we're, we're approaching the end of our time here um, and you brought up the idea of, of sourcing. We talked about this a little bit beforehand and, and kind of that um, integration into the, the business units based on your experience working with all these enterprises. What do you think uh, a successful or the most successful way that a company can integrate workforce planning and sourcing? Because uh, to your point, they're not, most are not doing that
2: well. No. So um, less than 10%. And that might be optimistic. Um, Right now, this is something people are spending a lot of money on. So that's going to go up because the world caught up and they need to. Um, And even in a downturn, even if the, the, the hiring wave slows down, we've passed the point. There's not enough people, right? The demographics are what they are. And so we can have a recession. We're still going to have open jobs, which we've never had before. Um, so, so the best place that this can interface is where that workforce planner and the recruiting team, and you know, recruiting teams are typically assigned to functions or business units. It's not, hey, you just do everything, some exceptions, but um, where they're talking to each other all the time. because. Workforce planning done well, you update it quarterly and you say, what did I think would happen? What, what actually happened? That's just, and then you get this five-year rolling projection, right? And you put weights on different things and the recruiting team is out there in the real world and they're going, yeah, I know our days to fill is 45, but you're looking for a unicorn and it's going to take longer than that. And So mm-hmm. you should build a workforce plan that says 180 days and let's like figure out how we're going to do the work, right? And, um, and vice versa, right? To my earlier example. My job as a recruiter is astronomically easier if you tell me what I'm going to have to hire for the next year. Can I do it exact? No. But can I get 80%? And then if you win the lottery tomorrow and you don't show up for work, that's still going to happen. I'll deal with the one-offs, right? We well, hope so. <laughs> but the 80% is still 80%, and that's an astronomically more, an astronomically more um, operationally effective recruiting function. And recruiters get yelled at a lot. Like, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. Like it's not their fault. They can only like one person can only source so many things at a time can only run so many people through and for all the automation and there's a lot of it, it's still a relationship at some point. Someone's saying yes, because they like the recruiter and they like the hiring manager. And so you can't, I can automate all kinds of pieces on the initial sourcing and some of the screening, but at some point that relationship still needs to exist. I want my recruiter spending time there. And so if they work closely with workforce planning, they get to spend their time there. Okay. I, I love that.
0: Where does, um, I know we're getting close to time here, but I, where does L&D come into play as far
2: as taking that the pipeline and kind of retraining it so it's ready to so go? So in the models, yep. right. You're, you're, ideally you're doing it skills. You can certainly do it at a job level, but the d- deeper you can get. But I put automation into my finance department, right? Fairly common thing that's going on right now. Mm-hmm. I have 14 people in that department today. Three years from now when that goes live, I'm going to need six. And here's how the job's changed. And so there's two questions that get asked instead of these 10 skills you need these 3 that overlap and these 7 new ones and not just which ones do you need but when right. cuz we've all gone through training and then you don't get to use it for a year and then you got to go through the training again yep. before you can use it so L&D comes in there and it also comes into we started to see the shift you hire toward aptitude instead of specific skill set so can i pick up the fifth generation language can i pick up the sixth generation language how fast can i do it as opposed to do i have 10 years of coding in C++ right um with that aptitude shift, there's always going to be a learning curve. And so I need clear identification and visibility to what skills do you have? What skills do you need? When do you need them? Mm-hmm. And L&D becomes a key function of, I know it's your first day, fill out your paperwork. Now get over there because we got to train you how we do things. I'm also curious and
0: on, on that same kind of note is, are, should we start looking more for folks who have
2: any skill to learn? Like, should that be required by the ability to learn new skills? Depends on, depends on the company, Teachable depends things. on the job, but as a general, yeah, I would say aptitude to, to acquire new skills. You know, it used to be you could do the same thing for five years and everyone would put in a new system and then you change everything and cloud doesn't work that way. It updates right. once a quarter right. and the world's moving faster than it ever moved and it's not going to slow down, right? Like the one constant, it's going to go faster and mm-hmm. faster. And so I get, my boss used to say, you have to reinvent yourself every three years. Now she says 18 months. Uh, every three months. Um, <laughs> In some ways. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so, so it depends on the job, but yeah, I think, I think there's this massive shift that hire, hiring toward aptitude mm-hmm. rather than traditional mm-hmm. experience.
0: Yeah. I, I agree. I, I that's really, and that, that's that, that, my mind as a, re- as a recruiter, that should be one of your key
2: requirements and it's a little harder to quantify and therefore it's a little right. harder in the it's squishier. Yeah. It, yeah. So it's, a, it, it's not impossible, but it, it's just a little harder in your, your screening process. Yeah. Yep. And so you make those a little bit more robust and you go after it a little bit. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Uh, thank you again for your time. I always like to end this way when I'm talking to someone, which is uh, there are going to be a ton of people listening to this. What is one thing that you would want to leave them with?
2: I, I would leave them with, with the old motto of, you know, if you're going to do a, 100% anything, 80% of it is, is plan the work, work the plan. Right? That's the strategy. It's not about the strategic elements of where should I invest. It's create the ability so that I can plan and I can pivot and I can model out in real time what's likely to happen if I do that because then it's informed and, and, and it's not, you know, people think these things are incredibly complex and you need massive analytic capabilities. You don't. You need to spend a little time and a little money to get these things to work, but we're not talking tens of millions of dollars. We're not. Um, at, at three, six, nine months, you can get this stuff up and running and your ROI is inside of six months after it's up and running.
1: Measure twice, cut once. Yep. yep. Awesome. Well, well, thank you again. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Um, we will get you out of here, and uh, y'all, let's uh, let's hear it for uh, HR Tech, Russell.
2: Thank you. Oh
0: man, that means it's over.
1: You've been listening to the Sourcing School podcast live at HR Tech in Vegas, sponsored by our friends at Jen. For all other HR recruiting and sourcing news, check out recruitingdaily.com.